Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Really looking forward to doing this series that we're starting today. Uh, We usually plan our series about 12 to 18 months out. And about four or five months ago, God said, I want you to change something. So when we change things, when we take what we think is a good plan to do something we think is even better, then then we get really excited. And and so I'm especially excited about this because marriage is one of the the most fun things for me to preach on. Because I've got experience here. Don't I, babe? Yeah, we're about to do 23 years here in a month and a half or so. And I'm going to, as we're, as we're doing this series, I want to give you kind of a little uh, heads up on something we're doing. So we're going to do four Sunday mornings starting today, but then we're going to do one and only one Sunday night next Sunday, next week, okay? One week from today. Uh, here's here's the, where we're going to talk about uh, what does the world say about physical intimacy? Good questions, isn't it? I mean, think about this. If you don't get answers from the church, if you can't find out what the Bible says, then the only thing you can do is Google and see what our culture has to say. So next Sunday night, I want to invite you 6 p.m. It will not go online. Everybody understand that? It will not go online. So it's live only one service only, so come early and fight for seats because everybody's going to have to come in here. We're going to put the three pastors and their spouses on stage. We're going to answer your questions. We're going to do a little bit of teaching about the power of intimacy in our marriages. So Sunday night, don't miss that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to laugh a lot. I have a lot of fun when things aren't going online. I don't know about you guys, but I have to act differently for that. All right, so listen, here's what we're going to do. The reason I'm so excited about this series is because when my wife and I got married, if you don't know, for those of you that are new to Grace Life, by the way, if you're a guest, welcome. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, And so if you are a guest, you're going to hear this for the first time. Everybody else has heard it so many times, they're probably sick of it. But my wife is Romanian and I'm American, as you can tell. I'm a good Southern American boy. And we got married in Romania almost 23 years ago. And we were from such incredibly different worlds that we have learned a thing or two, right? I mean, she came from a world where football actually was played with your foot and the balls were round. And she came from a world where garlic ruled the earth. And I think garlic is the worst thing God ever made. You can imagine what it was like. We spoke two different languages and and, uh, we thought one of us spoke the other person's language till we got married. We'll save some of those stories. So uh, here's the thing. We had one of the worst marriages I've ever seen for basically a decade. I mean, come on, that's true, isn't it? If we had known anybody whose name was Vinny, we would have had the other one knocked off. It's, it was that close, right? I mean, it was only the fact we didn't know who to call. We're both still alive. But God has done an amazing thing. And so now God has given us authority to speak on marriage because we have fought the hard fight and we are happily married today. And so look, for these next four weeks, I think it's going to be powerful. I think it's going to help. Uh, But if nothing else, we're going to tell a lot of our stories and you're just going to feel way better about your life. If all else fails, you can be like, did they really do that? I promise every story I'm going to tell for the next four weeks is going to be absolutely true. True story. So y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right, here you go. I need to talk to three groups of people before we jump in today. Number one is, are you married? Married people? 
Come on. Here's the thing. This is going to change how you see your marriage, and it's going to change how you respond to issues in your marriage if you're willing. Everything depends upon you being willing. Are you not married? If you are not married, here's the truth. You probably will be someday, right? And, and here's the thing about this series. It's going to make you smarter with relational IQ. You're going to be able to work better with the people around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers. So if you say, man, I'm single, I'm just gonna skip the next four weeks, that's a mistake. Even if you think you'll never get married, you're still going to become a better people person through this. And then third group of people, if you've had a marriage that ended, I don't want you to be listening to the enemy today. This series is not about your past. This series is about your future. And so look, let's, let's allow the Holy Spirit to heal. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to teach. Let's not get caught up on where we've been and something that didn't go right in our past. And so if you guys are ready, I'm gonna introduce you to a guy named Jacob. And maybe you can relate to this guy named Jacob. Maybe you got married and had expectations and everything changed, right? And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 29. We're going to be looking at his story for four weeks. And each week, we're going to look at a different aspect of something that happened. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you grew up going to church, you're going to be okay when we say Jacob and Leah for four weeks. But if you grew up not going to church, I'm going to mess up your Bible story memory. Because, you know, we, we all kind of know people and characters like Jesus and the disciples, there you go, you know, and like Peter, James, and John, there you go. And we've heard these stories like David and there you go. So if you grew up going to church, you kind of know it's Jacob and Rachel. It's Jacob and Rachel. That's the woman he wanted to marry. That's the woman he loved. And that is the woman that he did marry second yeah, he had two wives. He didn't plan on that one. That just kind of happened. That's going to be a fun part of the story. But if, if you're new to going to church and you come in here for four weeks hearing us say Jacob and Leah, I just want to warn you, I'm going to mess you up. Because if you go out of these doors and say, hey, my pastor was talking about Jacob and Leah, they're going to say, you, were you like playing on your phone? Because I'm sure it's Jacob and Rachel. No, he was talking about Jacob and Leah. No, you weren't paying attention. So, okay, there you go. That's the disclaimer. I'm only going to do it once. Uh, you're at your own risk. Jacob and Rachel, Jacob and Leah, here we go. We're going to start in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Here's the thing. We don't really know what that phrase, her eyes were weak, means. There's a lot of argument. But what we do know is that it was a Hebrew uh, colloquialism. And, and the bottom line is this. Leah wasn't very pretty. But Rachel was gorgeous. And so Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. It's only been a few days, babe. <laughs> then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, and he made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Now, seriously, how does that happen, right? 
I mean, come on. Okay, so actually next Sunday night, that's the passage I'm going to start with. We're going to talk about how that happens. We're calling today's message, Waking Up, because Jacob woke up and his marriage wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And every married person in this room or every single person that will be married is going to wake up and discover something about your spouse you didn't plan for. Something you didn't think was going to work out that way. You see, we all had expectations and we all got surprises. Come on. Y'all don't want to, they're like, I'm not laughing because I'm going to get elbowed. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. See, the truth is no one knows who they've married until the next morning or the next year or the next decade. It just depends on when you begin to discover some of these things. Mine was very early on. Right after we got married, we got married in Romania with the plan to move back to the United States. So we get married and I sit down to do her immigration paperwork and I put her name wrong on the immigration paperwork. Wrong name to my wife. Now, I've, I've told that story a little bit before, and, and people have wondered, how does that happen? <laughs> how do you not know your wife's name? Well, it turns out it wasn't because I didn't know her name. It was because we thought we were speaking the same language, but we weren't. You see, we both have second language. I either had to go my second language, Romanian, which was even worse than her using her second language in English. But here's the thing. She was one of our translators, so I assumed that she was speaking English as well as anybody. But what she actually spoke was Bible English, which is not always the same as everyday English. So there were phrases and things that I said that she would just nod. <laughs> and I thought she was just introspective. I have since learned when my, when my wife just smiles at you and nods, I'm just going to give all of you a heads up. She is not paying attention to what you were saying. <laughs> she might not even understand what you're saying. I watched her do this with my dad the first time she met my dad. He speaks a special dialect called South Carolina farm boy. <laughs> and we said, well, we, we walk everywhere here in Romania, so we're going to have to go. And uh, the, the place is down the street. And he said, I ain't no problem. We can walk up yonder. And she looked at him like, what? <laughs> so anyway, the point is, when I asked her what her middle name was, she didn't know that that was not a nickname. So she told me her nickname because they don't do middle names. And, and it was just one of those things where you think you know somebody, right? So I had been calling her by a nickname that I thought was a middle name. And when I put it on her immigration paperwork, you guys are starting to see how this goes, right? And so when we discover who we married, the wrong question to ask is, how did this happen? The right question to ask is, what do I do now? What are we going to do now, right? You see, we all expect to wake up next to an amazing spouse and live the dream. But I want to share with you a simple truth today. We don't wake up to a great marriage. No one wakes up to a great marriage. You build a great marriage. Do I have some married people in the room who want to agree with me on that one? You don't wake up to a great marriage. You build a great marriage, and there is a process to building a great marriage, and that's what I want to walk us through today. Uh, just going to show you these, I, I think there are four stages. You could maybe break it up a little differently, but we're, we're going to do it as four today. You see, the first thing that happens in order for us to build a great marriage is at some point, and it may be the day after, it may be the next year, it may not be for a decade when something happens, you are going to encounter what I'm going to call disillusionment. Something is going to happen that you're not pleased with. Now, look, hopefully none of you actually woke up next to your expected brother or sister-in-law. 
like Jacob did, right? And if you did, I hope your family has now adopted sober weddings. <laughs> Just thought that'd be fun. But we did all wake up next to someone and discover something about our spouse and our relationship that simply was not what we expected it to be. I'll tell you a funny story about my wife because I've got the microphone. So that's, that's kind of how this series is going to go. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> we got married back in the 90s and there was this new game that was being played on these little things you could hold and it was called Tetris. Anybody old enough to remember what I'm talking about? Okay, uh, young people, this was back when you didn't have a million games on your phone. You had a game on a device. It was the only game you could play because it was the only thing on that device, and it was in black and white. The screen was in black and white. And so I had gotten pretty good at Tetris, I thought. I'm a very competitive person by nature, and, and I like to think I'm a pretty smart person too. And I had worked up to getting a little over 1,000 points when I played a game on Tetris, which back then, I don't know how it's scored now, but that, that, was, that was tough to do. And so I'm watching my wife, she has a Tetris game, and one day I'm with her and, and she's sitting there playing, and I look over and she's got 12,000 points. I'm thinking, I'm gonna marry a genius. I did marry a genius, just it was a different kind of genius than what I expected. So then I'm watching her play, and what happens is every time a piece would show up, she'd hit pause. And she'd look and she'd think. And then she'd push play and watch it. And the next piece would come and pause. That's how you get to 12,000 points, ladies and gentlemen. And I thought, well, everybody thinks, here's the thing. Uh, we've all been disappointed, and it maybe isn't that funny. What do you do when you thought they'd work hard, but they got fired, and they're actually quite lazy? What do you do when you thought they'd never yell at you, but, well, they actually have an anger problem, and your marriage has become verbally abusive? What do you do when you thought they'd never cheat on you, but they did? What do you do when you thought they were spiritual, but they weren't? What do you do when you thought they'd respect you, but they didn't? You see, what do you do when you feel like you've been deceived? I, I need to explain the basis of marriage, one of the most important things, and this is probably going to be the hardest thing for me to, to teach and for us to grasp, because honestly, we don't like to hear this, but there's a word called covenant. And, and this is what a marriage actually is. And we don't use that word in our, our normal language. We don't go around talking about covenants. And so quite often, we don't know what this word really means. But I'm going to tell you a real quick story. There's a story in the Old Testament as Joshua is leading God's people into the promised land, and he's told to destroy and to kill. And that's a message for another day. If you don't like it, just, just follow. And, and so there are people that hear they're coming, and there are these people who know when they get here, we don't have a chance against them. And so these people dressed up to act like they were from somewhere else. They put on some old clothes and put holes in them, just like teenagers do today. And they, they got some old wine skins and they roughed them up and then they went kind of around the mountain and came back and said, hey, Joshua, we're from far, far away and we want you to make a covenant with us. 
And Joshua says, where are you from? Ask some questions. That's still, that'd be a great story for us to talk about some other time. Anyway, he foolishly ends up making a covenant with these people. And then they go right back home. And the next day he shows up ready to kill them. And they say, uh, 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 do you remember the promise you made with us? Even though they had lied and intentionally deceived, he had to honor the covenant. Because a covenant is a promise, not a contract. And here's the thing. How do you know you are saved? We just did these baptisms today. How many of you know that you are going to heaven when you die? How many of you know? Come on, seriously, raise your hands. How many of you know? Audience participation here. How many of you know you're going to heaven when you die? Okay, you put your hands down. Here's the question. How do you know? How do you not just wish? How do you not just think? But how do you know? You know how you know? Because it's a covenant. It's a promise. Jesus' blood was shed for you to form a new covenant. And this promise is not based upon anything you do. A contract, on the other hand, is based upon the other person's behavior. You do this, they do that. If they don't do that, then you break the contract. The problem with a covenant is it's a promise that has nothing to do with their behavior, but only you keeping your word. This is the hard message about marriage. God intended for our marriages to be a picture for the rest of the world on planet Earth of his love for us. That's how when Jesus died and his blood was shed and a covenant was formed with us, we know we're going to heaven because it doesn't matter what you do right. It doesn't matter what you do wrong. We are going to heaven based on his promise, not your behavior. And our marriage is not a contract. Our marriage is a covenant. And and here's the thing. None of us, very few of us have been intentionally tricked and deceived like Joshua was. Most of us, yes, you've been disappointed, but the disappointment has simply been you married a human. You married a sinner. When I do premarital counseling, I just make sure they understand. I look at them and go, do you know you're marrying a sinner? And they both, because they just like, we're engaged. We love each other. We're going to be so happy, pastor. And they just smile and go, oh, we know. I was like, no, you don't know. Like when you come in contact with their sinfulness, you will not be smiling on my couch. Even though we know we're going to marry a sinner, we don't know what to do when they show us that they are one. Here's the second point. Refocus. After we're disillusioned, we have to choose to be refocused because once you're disillusioned, you're going to have a choice. And it might be to give up and walk away. I didn't expect that. I don't deserve that. They said they'd never do that. That's not godly. I'm out. Or... We can refocus. And if we refocus, then what's going to change is the original focus of our marriage. See, the original focus of our marriage was happiness, being with your soulmate, and somebody serving you. Come on. I have never in my life had somebody say, I can't wait for my wedding. I'm inviting you all to my wedding. I want you to come out and see as I begin a lifetime of misery, join to somebody I don't connect well with so that they can ignore me while I do everything for them. Never heard those words. Never. 
Everyone always says on their wedding invitations, we wish you would join us as we come together as soulmates, or we wish you'd join us for our happy occasion. Everybody expects happiness with their soulmate and to be served. And what we need is simply a new view of our marriage. We need to understand that God might be doing something different from what we thought we were going to get out of it. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. One of the most meaningful marriage books I've ever read, I don't remember a thing in the, in the book at all, but I'll never forget what the cover says. The, the name of the book is Sacred Marriage, but the subtitle right underneath that says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy rather than happy? What if God intended all along to put you with somebody that was going to rub your sharp edges, that was going to push your buttons, that was going to reveal your sin nature? You see, what your spouse needs, what your spouse needs is a savior, and you're not it. And you know what else your spouse needs? A best friend to walk through life as they discover their sinfulness, as they discover their human nature, as they discover their need for God and how they need to change. We have to see our spouse as a child of God who needs a savior and a best friend to help them grow to be more like Jesus. We have to refocus. And then we come to number three, and then we start building. Once we have had something go wrong, once we've discovered something about the person, and then we've decided, okay, I get it. I'm gonna change what I expected, and now we're gonna do this thing called life together. We're going to fix this. We're gonna stick this thing together, and we're, we're gonna make this work. Then God can begin to build something. He actually laid out the blueprint for marriage in Genesis when he said that the two shall become one. He's actually building something. He's building a family. He's building a couple, but he starts with two individuals. And the problem, unfortunately, for most of us, because we grow up in a broken world, is that we don't actually start out as one. You need, if you're going to take two and, and, and bring them together to, to be one, we need two whole things. And quite often, what we bring is a pile of shattered pieces. My wife and I had both been abused. We didn't know the impact that would have on us. We come into a marriage and we've got, a, I'm a broken pile and she's a broken pile. And then we just start rubbing all those sharp things together and we did not do well. And we didn't understand what was going wrong. We thought that we were just supposed to get along and be happy all the time because we both love Jesus. Do you know how many times I've heard somebody say, as long as you love Jesus, you're going to make it? I wish that were true. It would sound good, but it doesn't always work that easily. You see, what you need to know is that God is not adding an accessory to your singleness. God is not giving you a roommate with benefits. God is building something. He's taking two individuals and turning them into one new thing. And that means that something is going to change. And sometimes what has to change starts with our vision. Every person I've ever met has a vision for their lives. And the problem is they don't sit down and talk beforehand about what is my vision? What is your vision? Is our vision heading together or is our vision heading apart? And so one of the things that my wife and I had to do after we got married, because we didn't do it beforehand, is we had to change our vision. We were going two different directions. And this was a funny story for those of you who have heard it before. But I knew that I was called to do what I am doing right now. But this is not what I was doing when I met her. 
I would do this on occasion when I met her, but what I was really doing when I met her is I was traveling around to all the churches that we were working with in Romania because I had a music degree and I had been a worship leader. I was helping train worship leaders and work with the the music teams. And my wife was one of the Romanian worship leaders. And so she thought it was awesome that she was going to be the next Romanian Kim Walker. This was the vision for her life. You don't have to laugh at that. She's good. She can sing now. But she was going to be the next Romanian Kim Walker. And because I would show up and make the worship band sound better, I was just going to be her star roadie. And I was going to play a little bit of keyboard while she's up there with her guitar going, I'm not speaking in tongues in case y'all wondering. That's Romanian. And she was just, she was just going to have this great vision for her life. And when we moved to America, she was okay for a little while that, you know, well, you know, he's, he's teaching band, but we're still going to do this thing. And she was on the worship team and whatever. And at some point, her vision crashed. And that required a big change because if her vision didn't come in line with my vision, then my vision could not be what God has given it to be. I can't stand here today if she walks out of this room. You see, our visions had to come together. Something had to give. And so when we're in this building phase, Things have to change. Maybe for you, you want to be a general, and you've planned to be a general. You went into the military. This was your career going all the way. You were good enough. Maybe you went to one of the academies, but your spouse cannot handle the military lifestyle and says, honey, I need you to get out. Well, I can't get out. I know a theologian, the the premier theologian in our country today was teaching at the most prestigious, one of the most prestigious seminaries, but the climate was killing his wife, literally. And he was given a choice. You can make your career while you make your wife miserable or very, very sick, or you can make your wife healthy. And he chose to go and teach at a second-rate seminary. Forgive me for those that go to that seminary watching this, if they ever do. But he chose to step down simply for his wife's health. We may all have to make a change to what we think the vision is for our lives. Let me walk you through a couple of other things that are happening. Not only is your vision changing, you may be repenting in this building phase. You will be repenting. And when someone is repenting, then someone else is going to be forgiving. You see, I am pretty good with words, if you haven't noticed. I'm rather strong and forceful, and I have decided I'd never lose an argument in my life. And then along came my sweet, quiet, peaceful little wife. That was very, very harsh for a long time. And one of the big changes that had to happen after probably over 10 years of marriage is I had to repent of the harsh way that I spoke to her and treated her. But then she had to forgive. She had to accept what I was saying and forgive. We're also going to have to accept some things will never change. You know, sometimes we, we just don't believe that, that this is it. This is the way it's going to be. And, and again, I'm, I'm doing funny stuff because, well, the, the reality is hard already, right? I mean, I had to accept that my wife was going to be taller than me. And y'all go, uh, that sounds a little strange. Let me explain it to you. You see, when we got married, she was about a half an inch taller than me. And since you can stand up straight, I could solve that pretty much anytime I wanted. Plus, I wore hiking boots most of the time. That gave me that half inch. I was good to go. But then when we moved to America, y'all know we put like growth hormones in all of our food. No joke. She grew two inches in the first year that she moved here. 
Y'all don't get it. She really grew two inches in the first year that we moved here. Y'all ever seen a Romanian chicken? That little, like, little old tiny thing looks like a little, like, looks starved to death running around out in the yard trying to find a worm or something. They, I mean, because they eat organic. Come to America, man, our chickens are like fat and plump, you know? I mean, and, and so suddenly she starts eating in American restaurants and everything has growth hormones in it. And now she's, she's three inches taller than me. And for a long time, I was embarrassed. For a long time, I would ask her, she would actually come to church and flip-flop. So when she stood beside me, she'd take off her flip-flops and stand barefoot. And I'd hopefully have on shoes that would make me close to tall enough. True story. I finally figured out it's a whole lot cooler to have her wear like three-inch heels, walk into a restaurant and have all the guys looking. That's right. <laughs> True story. I'm not making up anything. We have to change. We have to change because the old ways just don't work. Once you figure out, I can't yell, I can't scream because it breaks her spirit, then, then you have to change. And really, maybe a better word for change is grow. We have to grow emotionally. We have to grow spiritually. We have to become something better than what we are. There's healing going on during the building phase. There's, oh, this is my favorite one. There's fighting going on during the building phase. Now listen, you have a choice. You will either fight for your marriage or you will fight in your marriage. You will either fight the enemy or you'll fight your spouse. But at some point you have to recognize if God is building something, then the enemy is out to tear down what God is building. It's where he started. Go back to the beginning. Open your Bible in Genesis. You don't have to get very far. God said, I'm going to put the two of you together. The enemy shows up and says, I'm going to tear you apart. It's been his plan ever since the beginning to take apart the very thing that God built, which was putting his human children together in community because God exists in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The closest we will ever come to understanding how God can be three persons in one God is in marriage. It's the closest picture we're gonna get. And the enemy knew since we're made in God's image, the best thing he can ever do is separate us. So we'll never experience that image of community where the two actually become one. He's been trying to tear it down from the beginning. And we have to decide, are we going to fight the enemy? We're going to fight each other. Because we think our problem is with our spouse. The problem isn't with your spouse. Your spouse is just revealing your issues. And you're just revealing theirs. And now you have to decide, are you going to grow and fight the enemy? Or are you going to not grow and fight each other? Last thing. This one's easy. Living the dream. See, here's the reality. This is where you thought you would wake up. You invited somebody to your wedding. You spent all that money. Got that beautiful dress. That nice tuxedo. Expensive cake. Invited all your family and friends. And this is what you expected the next day to wake up next to an amazing spouse and live the dream. But you don't wake up to a great marriage. You have to build one. And I want you to know that you can. I need somebody to hear me today. I want you to know that you can. The most hopeless marriage in this room, I need you to listen to me. I want you to know that you can.
You see, there was a point for my wife and I, we were about a decade into our marriage and everybody who knew us knew us. Some of you maybe have the stories of doing what we did. You drive to church and by the time you get to church, the fight you're having in the car is so big, you don't even get out of the car and you don't even go into church. Been there, done that. Same thing on dates and restaurants and everything else. We know the pain. And as one of my pastor friends sat down to tell me, well, well, Jimmy, you just, you need to pray God will change your heart. Because I'd already gotten to a point, it was real clear. I don't like her. We'd, We'd hurt each other so much. Love was not a question. It was literally doesn't like. She didn't want to be around me. I didn't want to be around her. Every time we were just, just, it was like pouring fuel on a fire. It was, it was a mess. And so he said, you need to pray God will change your heart. And I'm going to tell you how bad our marriage was. I looked at him and said, I don't want God to change my heart. So if that's where you are, the good news is many of you, you're having some issues and you're nowhere close to that. You can build a great marriage. But I want you to know that whoever thinks that it is beyond repair, whoever thinks that it is so bad that it can't be fixed, we are living proof that God can do an amazing thing if you'll let him. We are living proof that there is nothing that if you choose to repent, forgive, accept, grow, heal, you too can have a great marriage. I want to close by praying for you. We don't always close this way, but because my wife and I have had, are are you well enough to come up here? She's very sick today. Because my wife and I have had the marriage we've had, I believe that there's authority for me to pray for you. I believe that I can, I believe we've had a fight in the spiritual realm that's, that's earned something. And so if you'll allow me, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but if you'll allow me, I, I want to pray for you, for your marriage. If your marriage, just, just anybody that's married, just raise your hand, hold your hands high, and let's pray. God, I thank you for every hand that you see up. God, these hands that are lifted right now, some of them are are in a place where they are living the dream. They've gotten through those bad years. Some of them are in that place of just being utterly and completely disillusioned, not knowing that this would ever happen. And they don't know what to do and they don't know how to move forward. And some of them have, have, have gotten back up and dusted themselves off and said, okay, well, let's, let's try this thing. And some are deep in the mess of trying to figure it out. Wherever they are, God, I pray right now for every hand that is raised that you will meet them and that you will do what you did for me and my wife, even when we didn't want you to. But I pray that you will change hearts. I pray that you will soften hard hearts in this place today. I pray that you will start conversations that have stopped. I pray that you will cause one of them to take a hard step that they've both refused to take. God, I pray right now for the Holy Spirit to move into each of these marriages and to have your way. 
to have your way, to take two and to make one. In Jesus' name. And put your hands down. I want to talk to a second group of people. For those of you that do not know you're going to heaven because you have never received the gift of Jesus' death. And yes, his death is a gift. It's what establishes the covenant. When Jesus said, this is my blood that is poured out for your covenant, a covenant with you, a new covenant with you. For those of you that have never embraced the promise that his death is why you go to be with him. His death is why you can be forgiven. His death is why you go to heaven. You've tried hard. You've tried to go to church. You've tried to be a good person. You've tried to do the contract thing. If I'm good enough, God will let me in. No, it's a covenant. And if you have never embraced that, I'd like to encourage you to do that right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down front, but right where you're seated, would you join me? Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. In my simple prayer today, I ask that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, everyone. Let's celebrate with those people here today. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.